Welcome to the Clay Young Show. Well, after a one-week hiatus, we're back again with the Clay Young Show on podcast225.com, iTunes, and the Talk 107.3 mobile app. And the weather is up and oh my down goodness. and it's cold and then it's hot. It's Welcome rainy, to Louisiana. Hi. <laughs> Orlanda is here with me, and we were talking a second ago. Now, first of all, today's show is all about fun. Caitlin Gautreau, who is the uh, sommelier at Ben 77 Bistro in Baton Rouge, will be with us today to talk about wine. Mm. And she's going to talk about the history and some of the prominent places where uh, great wines come from, her training to be a sommelier, what the hell a sommelier is, <laughs> uh, <laughs> pairing like food items that you can pair with wine from appetizers to main courses to desserts. It's just a fun conversation about enjoying but not over-enjoying, if you know what I mean. Right. So I think you guys will find some interest in that. And also she she mentions one particular thing that pairs well with champagne that might surprise people. But in this part of the world, it will be a popular combination. Hmm. Here's a hint. The food is fried. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> what? <laughs> fried food and champagne. Yeah. But when you hear the pairing, it's awesome. I haven't tried it yet, but I, it's, when you hear it, it's awesome. It's like, you know, I would never think to put those two things together, but you're right. That would be great. And so... I think uh, I'm going to try to make that happen. So we were talking, though, before sitting down to, to do the show about this documentary series that I finished last evening, last night. In fact, it has kept me up late every night since. And that's unusual. Last Tuesday. Yes. And it's like after a week before where I was agitated because we were pushing it and just not sleeping in the whole thing. The name of the documentary is Making a Murderer, and it's on Netflix. It was released last year. Now, I remember seeing news stories about this documentary and how controversial it was and how people around the country were critical of the little town in Wisconsin and how they railroaded this guy and corruption and all of that. And I saw it, but I didn't think very much of it. You know, it's TV, making time to watch television. It's just not really in the cards a whole lot nowadays. But I sat down to watch the first episode, and I was hooked. First of all, it tells the story. If you haven't seen it, and you don't want a spoiler, <laughs> uh, skip ahead about 90 seconds. <laughs> <laughs> but if you don't plan on watching it, and you want to know why it is so intriguing to people... I will talk a little bit about it, and that's coming in three, two. So in the first episode, it starts with this guy, Stephen Avery, a citizen of a little town called Manitowoc, Wisconsin. Manitowoc. That's a weird name. Right? It sounds like uh, somebody from Brooklyn saying Manitowoc. Manitowoc. that's pretty good. That was like kind of uh, Jersey almost. That's all. That's yeah. Forget about it. So. <laughs> He spends 18 years in prison for a rape that he said he never committed. And DNA evidence with beyond a shadow of a doubt proved that he did not rape this woman. This woman who was running along the beach exercising where this guy assaulted her. I mean, beat her up and then raped her. What? Okay. He did 18. 
15 years for that. Now, he had been in trouble because he was accused of exposing himself to a woman who was related to a member of the sheriff's department. Mm. And this happens. And so here's what happens. 10 years into him being in prison for this rape, an, a law enforcement agency, sheriff's office from someplace else said, we got a guy here who has been assaulting women and he has confessed to an assault that we think you guys have someone in prison for. The guy that he spoke with didn't acknowledge that that call happened until after the DNA evidence had exonerated Stephen Avery. So he spent an additional like nine and a half years in prison when when they had when there was there was reason to believe that he didn't commit this crime. He had a mugshot in the sheriff's office's file. And the guy who did the, what do you call it when they, uh, the, the, the perpetrator composite where they sketch a oh, picture. Yeah. She's describing a man with like a beard and scraggly hair and the whole thing. And it looks as though the guy who drew the, the, the picture of the alleged perpetrator traced a mugshot of Stephen oh, Avery to no. come up with that image. So he shows her this image. She picks him out of a lineup because the picture that she's looking at looks like the guy standing in the lineup. And, the, and then the guy who did the sketch framed Stephen Avery's mugshot and the sketch of him that he drew and had it hanging on the wall in his office. It's unbelievable. So they still don't believe he's innocent, even though the DNA evidence that they found put the other guy's pubic hair on this woman's body. That's True story. Oh so then he gets out. He's he's a he's the face of this thing called the Innocence Project, and you know he's suing the the Manitowoc County or whatever right. for like thirty six million dollars. What? Because he had spent eighteen years in prison, so he wants back. And I think they broke down the number that it would be like, like per year. yeah, per year if you know based upon the years that he had lost. And so they're going through this entire thing and this woman who works for a magazine that takes pictures of used cars and posts them in this magazine and she posts information about them. So this guy had stayed out of trouble. The governor had taken pictures with him. He was the, the, looked, at, looked upon as a hero because he spent 18 years in prison for a crime he didn't commit. And the Manitowoc Sheriff's Department was taking so much heat, they, they suppressed information about this because they never, the guy didn't write a report about having received the call until after this guy was released, okay? And so <clears throat> the sheriff was still unrelenting on the fact that Stephen Avery committed this crime. So this young woman, who was the real victim of this entire thing, Right, goes missing. She's missing four days, and they're looking for her. Oh, and there's a search party. Now, Stephen Avery's family has this massive salvage yard that's dozens of acres, you know, large, and they've got all these scrap cars, and as the phone rings, as a buddy of mine says, when the phone rings through the pot, through the podcast, I owe everybody everybody a cocktail. Hmm. So, I, I need it's that. It's a little phone. early for that. 
<laughs> yes, it is. I'm, I'm only kidding about that. <laughs> so they are looking for this woman and there's a search party, right? And so the search party, why is the phone ringing in the studio? But there's a search party and they find her car. And it seems as though the people who are looking for her go on the salvage yard and basically walk right to where the car is. The car is kind of parked on the salvage salvage yard with like branches leaning up against it, which is curious because like if if Stephen Avery did this, why would he park the car there? Right. So then they go into his house. They arrest him for suspicion of this. Right. They're searching his house for like eight days but they ban him from his property. So because of the the previous rape conviction, the Manitowoc Sheriff's Department was banned from being involved. Actually, they weren't they they weren't supposed to be investigating this. And if they were on the grounds, they were supposed to be on the grounds with supervision. Okay, so. They're searching his house. He's not there. They search it for days. They don't find anything. Then they find bone fragments in a fire. So he, at his house? At his house, near his house. Then they're searching the house. So the first six days, six, maybe seven days, they're searching the house. They find nothing. Two of the Manitowoc sheriff's deputies who were there unsupervised, it wasn't until the eighth day that they go into the house and they find this woman's key lying on the floor in plain sight where in the previous days it had not been there. Now, this key is interesting. This was her key to her Toyota RAV4, right? The only DNA on the key was that of Stephen Avery's. Her DNA was not on her key. So if this is her key. This doesn't even make sense. And she uses it. You would find her fingerprints, her. And if he scrubs the key to get his fingerprints off of it, would he do that wearing, would he do that not wearing gloves? Right. So that's the thing. The only time when these guys find the key, they do it at a time when nobody else is around. And it gets worse. It gets worse. So they arrest this guy. Now, is it possible that he did this? Absolutely. You don't know anything is possible. But there's so many questions. So he did this. He puts the car on, her, on his property. He doesn't crush the car because he's got a crusher there that he can crush cars. He just parks it. Okay? His blood is found in the SUV. Okay? Well, maybe that means he's involved. But his blood is in the SUV, but not one fingerprint. So if he's wearing gloves so that you don't find a fingerprint, how could he bleed in the truck? And if he wasn't wearing gloves and he bled, why were there no fingerprints? Well, <clears throat> it could be a cut from somewhere else besides his hands. Well, where the cut was was right by where the key ignition uh, is. So unless he started the car with his foot, yeah. it came from his hand. Right. And then there was, his, there was her blood in the trunk of the car. So then as bad as this is, it gets crazier. His 16-year-old nephew, Brandon Dassey, who is learning 
challenged. The kid has a, an IQ of like 70. He reads on a fourth grade level and he's 16. He apparently tells police that when he gets home, he goes to check the mail. And while he's checking the mail, he notices that some of Stephen's mail is in, is, is in their box. Or maybe he pulls mail out of Stephen's box. And he, go, and he starts to walk towards Stephen's trailer where he hears screaming. And as he gets closer to the trailer, the screams become louder and louder. And before he could knock on the door, Stephen comes to the door and he's dripping with sweat and he's breathing hard. So he goes in and Stephen takes him to, the, to his bedroom where this young woman is chained and no. roped to the bed. And he said, she's begging for her life. And she's saying, please don't do this. Get me help. So Stephen has sexually assaulted her and invites the young man to join in to end the assault. And he says that he does join into the assault. But and then Stephen stabs her. He cuts her throat, but she still lives. So they drag her out of the apartment where somewhere on the grounds they shoot her. That is crazy. And then shoot her in the head. Crazy, right? Then you see the actual interview with this kid by two sheriff's deputies. He never admitted anything. What? So they, they are questioning him, and then they feed him lines. To say. And as they're feeding him lines, he's like, yeah, that's how it happened. But they're telling him, you got to tell us the truth. If you want to go home, you're going to have to tell us what happened. Right. So now... This same kid on several occasions is checked out of his classroom and taken to be interviewed with police. His parents are not notified that this is happening. And he is not even like mentally capable. And he is not with an attorney. So they're feeding him information. And so this becomes the crux of the, 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 the nail through the coffin of Stephen Avery, right? I know we're going long. This will be a po- long podcast, but I'm pretty sure this is fascinating what I'm telling you. So, um, and the, the prosecutors hold a press conference and they release all the details to the media. Now, this is just this kid's account. But once you hear that, you hear the interview, you see they're feeding him this. But he is also saying, I don't know. And in a couple of the recorded interviews, he said it didn't happen. He made it up. So. This was after they had released to the media what had happened with this kid, with this young lady. And he's, he heard some of that. So it's suspicious about the, the statement taken. He's go, he said he did it. He said he made it up. What do you believe? Then you, you go to the story. So if he assaulted this woman in this way, there was no blood found in his trailer at all. No blood splatter, no hair, no skin, nothing. That doesn't even make sense. Which is so the whole show. And is there's a, carpet. There's this. It's just a series. It's a documentary that's broken into ten parts. But it's all ten parts is about the same. About the same, same thing. thing. So they're taking like you in, through this. They're right. telling you the story. And I said skip ahead ninety seconds. Oops. So now something else happens. His cousin, who's fourteen says that she saw Brandon sitting in the house. He was upset. He was crying. 
And she says he told her the story of how oh this happened. Oh, gosh. Okay? Just wait. And so now they're talking about this young woman, Kayla, who says he told me that story. So while this is going on, his attorney, who was clearly Brendan's attorney, clearly conspiring against this kid. His attorney got this kid to write a confession saying that he was a part of this. The attorney sends an investigator to go meet with the kid. Brendan says he made it up. He wrote a st- he wrote his statement saying he wasn't involved. And this kid is browbeaten for over an hour. You, you know you did this. You know you did this. You know you did this. Tell us the truth. You know you did this. So sad after the kid confesses, he doesn't know what's going on. He's asking, can I go back to class? Because I have a project due in the sixth hour. Oh my so he's talking to his mother on the phone. Okay, and she's asking him, why did you do this? And he said, I didn't do it because the phone calls are, re- are recorded. So this apparently takes place on in an afternoon around uh, 345 and around five o'clock. Apparently, this is happening. Right. And then they, they're dragging the woman out. They're killing her. Stephen Avery's girlfriend was serving about seven months in prison for DUI. At five o'clock, when a lot of this is supposedly going on, she calls Stephen. And the phone call is recorded. And they have a conversation. So if he's killing this woman, if this is going on in the house, how is he also on the phone with his girlfriend who called him at the house? And there's no screaming in the background. He's not out of breath. But here's where it gets even crazier. At nine o'clock, she calls him again. The girlfriend? Yes. And again, the call is recorded. Hmm. So skipping ahead back to Brendan Dassey. The second time after the investigator browbeats this kid, he meets with sheriff deputies without his attorney. His attorney allowed them to interview his client with him not being there. And remember the little cousin, the girl I told you about? Well, she gets on the witness stand. And they start to ask her about the story. She starts to cry. And then she said, I made it up. What? She said she made it up. She was trying to get him in trouble. Why? I don't know. This is weird. So they dismiss all of this. Stephen gets life in prison. And then the kid, with all of this conflicting data, gets convicted. So he now is about to do a long run in prison. And I'm sure I left out 50% of some of the details of this documentary. But it's that amazing. Damn. What do you think after hearing that description? I'm just like so interested already. <laughs> like there's so many. De- like it doesn't even make sense. It doesn't make sense and the girlfriend who probably could have exonerated him right they put her on probation because she was caught drinking again and as a part of her probation they barred her banned her from seeing from seeing or having any contact with him and they found that they had spoken right and she took a ride for that and then when she gets out she leaves 
Well, yeah, I'm sure she doesn't want anything to do with that. So, but who do you think would frame him and why? I don't know. Like, That's the question. It's like this: the woman was so still murdered. So, do you murdered. think he's guilty or not? I don't know. It's too conflicting. I know that I. So, at th- the end of the documentary, I, I, there wasn't like a final. No, oh, I don't know if I they like that. You, they take you. They take you. They take you right up to like last year, where he's still know. fighting for his oh, innocence. Okay, because I need to know. If and then you see pictures of this closure. kid and how he's grown, and he's not eligible for uh, release. For, for the possibility of release. But I thought he had mental issues. 2048. I thought he had mental issues. He did. Stephen Avery has been 20. He's 53 years old, I think the documentary said. And 28 of his 53 years have been spent in prison. I thought um, people with mental issues don't necessarily go to jail. No, they, 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 they will absolutely go to jail. They, they, don't, uh, they don't face execution often because of a proven mental right. you know, issue. So anyway, maybe the longest podcast we've done so far, but I just had to tell that story. And it's fascinating to watch. It made me sick to my stomach at the end. Right. And could he have done this? Anything's possible, yes. But were there enough circumstances to question the case and the investigation? Absolutely. It's like that Oscar Pretorius. Did you ever see, uh, see that? Yes. From the South African. Yes. Yes. The Blade Runner is mm-hmm. what he's called. Right. So it's it's unbelievable. So that's the long story of the making of a murderer or making a murderer. And if you haven't watched it, you just got the full story. <laughs> if you have watched it, I know you're right there with me. So. All right, on that note, let's talk about wine. Yay. <laughs> Caitlin Gotro, sommelier at uh, Ben77 is our guest next. Promote your business or organization on podcast225.com. Podcast225.com is quickly becoming a weekly tradition for Louisiana listeners. Every month, thousands hear the weekly Clay Young Show. Every week, Clay sits with some of the state's most fascinating and entertaining people. Posting your company's logo on the podcast225.com website or having a professionally produced commercial air on The Clay Young Show is a great way to access a loyal and informed audience. Get more information by calling 225-214-1550. That's 225-214-1550. Welcome back to The Clay Young Show. So we are back, and I got to tell you, I am more excited about this show than maybe any that I did with Richard Condon, and you'll find out why in just a moment. Caitlin Gotro is the sommelier at Ben 77. Uh, it's one of the more amazing places you'll find in Louisiana and in Baton Rouge. If you want the best steak in town, you got to go there. And every time I've said that to someone, they've never, never said you were wrong. But maybe the thing about Ben that's most amazing is their selection of wines. Um, it is primarily a place to go and get wine to go with a meal or you can buy bottles there and as I said Caitlin is a sommelier known her for a few years she's a spectacular person and let's first start by telling people what the hell a sommelier is all right um the best way to describe it for um a definitive way would be uh the wine expert of yeah. the restaurant that's yeah. kind of and, and sommelier is um a cross between obviously uh, your education in mm-hmm. the wine mm-hmm. and your ability to pair the wine with the food because right. it's about service. You are the expert. <laughs> I mean, well, basically, but that's what it is. You 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 train to have an expertise in these kinds of things. So if someone comes in and says, "Hey, I'm going to have 
a, a salad with shrimp on right. it or mm-hmm. a steak, what wine pairs best right. with that. You can tell them based upon your training. It isn't right. just guess. It, it isn't guesswork. You've actually done the training. Well, and it's it's um, it's just to basically guide you to what you like. Um, because certain people, you know, if they want a merlot mm-hmm. and but they're getting the fish, you know, I would definitely stray away from that. But at the same time, you have to respect their palate that they like. They know what they like, yeah. and so it might not be your preference, mm-hmm. but it's also guiding them and at the same time um, trying to focus on the guest needs yeah. as a service first. Sure. And what I, I studied through the Court of Masters, Samoyer, and um, what they told me, and they, they they just drilled it in your head that you're not better than anybody else mm-hmm. in the restaurant. You're not better than the customer. You're right. guiding them there. And um, it's just more... Uh, and, and when you have a passion for it, you get really into the moment of not only pairing it with things, yeah. but... Um, talking about it, you know, and, right. and the education of it. Well, you know, Ben 77 has a special place in my heart. Yeah, It's very close to my office. I'm there all the time for lunches. I take clients there. Uh, and for the past two years, Ben has been the host location for our fundraiser that we do to raise money for military veterans. Smoke them if you got them. And it was not a struggle to do it. Brian Dykes was right on it. Brian's one of the owners there, and he's you know in the place every day. And you and all of the staff there, y'all are so great. And this is a totally altruistic thing because we raise money and we give it to military veterans. Right. And I know that uh, that's that holds a special place in your heart. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So <laughs> go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, no, uh, my whole family's military. Uh, my dad served as a colonel in the army. Um, godfather, grandfathers, yeah. uncles, everybody yeah, back yeah. until I think World War One. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Not that we really did, you know, but the fault, but it just, yeah. It's an important thing. And so now let's go back to being a sommelier. Tell us a little bit about the training. Um, the training, it, um, well, there are multiple things that you can do. Uh, there are multiple companies that offer, mm-hmm. um, certifications yeah. other than sommelier. Sure. Uh, I did the Wine and Spirit Education Trust, which mm-hmm. is all uh, mostly focused on education, really okay. only education, not service. Uh, that's based out in London, but if you pass certain levels, you can teach it. Mm-hmm. So Brian Berkey, the owner of uh, Wino in New Orleans, taught me. Um, <laughs> Wino? Yes, yes. It actually stands for Wine Institute of New Orleans, so it's perfect. I love it. Um, it's great. It's on Chapatula Street. Check it out. And, Chapatulas. Uh, you, you, you would love it. And um, I did that, and then I... Uh, so I had the education side of it, mm-hmm. which is a great practice tool. I definitely recommend it before you do the Court of Master or, or, or International Guild Sommelier. Okay. Those are the two chapters that you have to go through to be a SOM. Um, and uh, it, it really helped out because when you do the Sommelier uh, certifications, mm-hmm. you do three tests. Okay. That's uh, service. You have um, 12 minutes to do a full formal service on a Master Sommelier. Um, then you do a written exam. You have 30 minutes for, I think, 40 questions, mm-hmm. and it's a mixture of different things. And then uh, you have to do a blind tasting. So they give you a glass of white and a glass of red, and you have two different grids to fill out. And you have 15 minutes to smell, sniff, yeah. spit, swirl, and do yeah, the whole yeah, thing yeah. to judge what it is. You have to guess the varietal, where it came from, the alcohol level, the acidity level, ever, to study. So you've really, got to know all of that. Right, from the beginning to basically the style that they almost use to make the wine. What kind of questions are they asking you? Oh, about um, wine laws. I mean, there was—I'll never forget. There was one that was written in Portuguese because it was in port. It was about the Portuguese wine law. Yeah, there were two English words in the entire question, and I went, "Oh my God, I have no idea." Um, but uh, really, anything from the soils of different regions and countries yeah. to the climates to the wine laws to uh, anything. I mean, 
So, and, and how long is this process? Uh, well, they say to do level one SOM, you should have at least three years of experience mm-hmm. uh, in dining. Um, level two, three, and four. Level two, you need to have at least five years, and two of which are in fine dining. Mm-hmm. And um, they recommend you having a study course before. Sure. Uh, I've I've been doing it for about two years now, and I but I really threw myself into it. I was just yeah. I loved it, so it was easy yeah. for me to study when you're passionate. It's the same sure. thing. Of a lot of you know um, careers that if oh, you yeah. have passion for it, then it's easy for you because you just assume you know engulfed in it. It's tied to an art, right? Because there is an artistry in being a sommelier because. Right of what you do for people, what you learn. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you're a person who loves learning. So, I mean, I'm sure when you're going in, you're going through this process, it's mm-hmm. like, wow. Right. I mean, it had to be exciting for you. What's the most surprising thing you learned going through this process? Something that, I'm sure there were lots of them, but one thing that made you go, wow, I, I never would have thought that. That's actually a really good question because I thought about that a couple of weeks ago when we were talking about my next test I wanted to do, mm-hmm. which is the CSW. Yeah. Um, and I we talked about that. I think I was in a class for the WSCT at Wino. Yeah. And I I thought it was absolutely fascinating, the crossbreeds and the mutation versus, um, like, the grapes have mutated over time mm-hmm. versus the crossbreeds, like Cab, uh, Cab Sav, Cabernet mm-hmm. Sauvignon, and um, it's a blend, actually. Yeah. It's a crossbreed of Cabernet Franc and Sauvignon Blanc. Mm-hmm. So that just blew me away. So then, I, of course, I wanted to study all the varietals and see where they came from. Yeah. Um, I think I loved... I went to Europe last year in April, and I traveled France, Spain, a little bit of England, Mm -hmm. and I was fascinated with the land and the soil. I thought it was so cool. I I really, really thought it was... I mean, the farmers out there were laughing at me because I was stumbling in my ballerina flats trying to walk (laughs) through all the soil and pick up the soil and smell it, you know, and really get into it because we don't have that in Louisiana. And the farmers loved it because when you... The one thing that people need to understand when they go taste wine, especially in Europe is it's been in their family for generations. Yes. And they are first and foremost farmers. Yeah. They're not artists. I mean, yeah. They're art with the land, but mm-hmm. that they, they take pride in their land. It's their passion. Right. And so if you respect the fact that you're tasting their their livelihood and their 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 family, yeah. you know, just the embrace of it all, right. they love you for it. I mean, they really, you know. I, I really just, you know, it's so funny. Francis Coppola, Francis Ford Coppola the, mm-hmm. of, of Godfather fame has become... Really, one of the major players in the wine industry, and we'll get to him in just a moment. You talked about being—you went to Europe mm-hmm. uh, to have a chance to go through there. When you talk about the disciplines and the attention to detail that the farmers put into what they do, do they all have some consistent process that they employ? Um, actually, no, with, with the funny thing with wine, that is another fa- thing that fascinated me that I love because I'm like a military brat. So I like my discipline. I like yeah. my, I like my rules and everything. And it's funny because the wine world just completely throws out the window. Right. If someone says, oh, we never do this, a winemaker the next year is going to do that. Like just, <laughs> there is no, there, there, there's just, there's nothing that you can't do. Um, and it's st- quite stressful when you're trying to study. Yes. There's just, there's no definite yeah. answer. Um, but Every winemaker has their own thing, and nothing's across the board. Certain regions like to do certain things, mm-hmm. uh, certain levels of um, like American oak in their wines. Uh, th- there, there are things that they prefer to do mm-hmm. because they've stu- they've done it over time. They've tried it, and it worked. There was the best results with this way. Yeah, but um, everyone kind of when it comes to Europe and their wines, one thing that I love about it is 
Americans and Europeans obviously are very different in every aspect. Um, yes. But, but uh, with their wine, um, Europe, French especially, they design their wine obviously to f- reflect their land, not as much as their fruit. Yeah. And in that sense also, they believe it's every harvest is basically... I was reading a book called Wine and War, and it's, sure. it's fascinating. It's about World War II and how they um, how it had a, a very devastating effect on French's greatest treasure, which mm-hmm. is the wine. How they dug trenches out when they did yeah. warfare and they yeah. ruined the vine- vineyards. But they were saying how it was so emotional because that these farmers, especially in the early 1900s, believed that um, eat with each harvest basically brought new life. And they want to design their wine to, mm-hmm. to define or to signify a prolonged life. So that's the whole point why French wines can age so well because they are designed to age. So instead of putting all that fresh fruit, like in California, where everyone likes the, the big jammy and like the oaky and just the, the big fruit that Americans, yeah, we yeah. want, because Americans want to drink it now. They're like, <laughs> I want to drink it now. And so, which is fine. I mean, if you like, great, you know, but it's, it's designed, they're two different concepts with designing the wine. Right. So in, in California, they're, they're, um, they're designing more wines. I mean, obviously some can age. But uh, the point is champagne and certain burgundy wines and even Chardonnays from bur- white burgundies, they're designed to age, which, you know. Uh, let's, first of all, let's talk about the process from grape to bottle. Uh-huh. If, if people are wondering, how is wine made? Right. They're getting you're, you're getting kind of a psalm class for free here with Caitlin. But <laughs> talking about the way wine is made and you don't have to go into the intricacies to that degree of whites and, and reds. But the, what's the process from stalk to cup okay. or glass um, rather? Well, it's going to start from obviously the the budding of it and then um, the picking and well, the harvest mm-hmm. and um there are different ways to do the fermentation. They uh, crush the grapes. Uh, either they do the whole cl- cl- the whole cluster, mm-hmm. which certain Pinot Noirs from California and Oregon and Washington, but more I've tasted from uh, Oregon, that they can do whole clusters, and it's called that because they put like the whole cluster in when they're you know pressing it before they ferment it to get okay. really all just every aspect of the vine basically. Mm-hmm. Um, so the but I mean from fermentation. And then it uh, is transferred into the barrels where it ages. I mean, there, there are multiple different, you know, um, steps, but really it's harvest, you know, press. They press all the grapes and everything. They get mm-hmm. the juice out. Then they ferment, and then they let it rest and age. And then um, they uh, either filter it or refine, refine it. Some some wines are not filtered. They're, they're called mm-hmm. unfiltered and unrefined where they're kind of almost murky. Yeah. Not, they don't have that shine. Yeah. But it's really cool when you get a really good unrefined wine. And I love those. I'm really kind of getting into those because... What is it when you say unrefined wine? It's Explain. unfiltered and unrefined, meaning it, it's it's the rawest juice they could use mm-hmm. um, while still fermenting a little bit of it, but they, they don't... Um, they don't beat it to death. <laughs> right. They don't strip it. Completely, yeah. You know, and so it, it's it's murky because it doesn't have that shine because they don't strip it a couple times. Yeah. And, and really um, refine it, meaning the beautiful gloss and shine that everyone yeah. loves in their glass. And it's really cool because whenever I saw some of the, um, when I was in uh, France, I went to um, Chateau de Pop, which everyone you knows the high end, really nice wine. Yeah. It was really cool because it was um, almost a medieval King Arthur kind of style village. Wow. It was really neat because the village was just this King Arthur style, um, uh, this whole concept. Yeah. And, um, so he showed me some wine that they had, they did, they didn't refine or they didn't filter on purpose. Right. And they had it set in the side barrel room that they really didn't sell. They just pretty much drank it. And so it was really neat. And it was, it was, it was so cool because it was almost like you can taste the earth. 
and it was <laughs> it was it was almost like you wanted to guess the weather it was that year. It was weird. It was just it it had a lot. It's going so interesting. On. The thing about having a nice glass of wine is the atmosphere, what you're doing at the time, what are you pairing it with. I think you don't drink wine to get hammered you know what I mean it's like you enjoy it for the taste because it's so so different and I remembered when I started to really enjoy wine it was just trying to understand I wanted to get the 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 taste profile and then as you said as an amateur you develop something that you think if I'm going to have a red like I a a nice steak goes well with a big old cab Mm -hmm. right it's just they just they go so well together uh and then there's so many things I want to learn, but but the part that I'm really anxious to get to and to hear you explain is like the pairings. And we've okay. got you've brought me some things yeah, to taste here. So <laughs> it's uh, five o'clock somewhere. Like it's five o'clock somewhere. <laughs> so so what's up first? Okay. So the first one. So I did bring um, all three different countries. Okay. Brought one white and two reds. And okay. the first one we're tasting. The countries being the United States, California, yeah. and uh, Australia. Yeah. And Spain, Spain. Okay. I was gonna say Spanish, but I went to Spain. Sorry. <laughs> All right. Um, yes. Uh, but so what we're tasting right now is the adaptation. So Plum Jack owns this. Actually, this is their second, thir- third tier. Um, which their tier is obviously their highest in wine with the first tier. Mm-hmm. Um, this is their third tier. Uh, the adaptation by Plum Jack Chardonnay, 2013. And this one is bright in acidity, and it's very balanced. It's not too – a lot of people that when they're looking at Napa or Russian River Chardonnays, mm-hmm. uh, Russian River Valley, it, it's going to have that oaky and buttery taste. And sometimes with me, it's overpowering. Mm-hmm. Um, I would prefer – those kind of wines, I feel like it has to be with food, just, just to tone it down. Um, certain, what would you pair this with? This one, well, I was going to say, actually, the, what I was talking about, the, the Chardonnay I was just discussing, mm-hmm. the Russian River buttery oaky, I would actually – suggest a really rich rabbit dish oh. um, a rabbit with a cream sauce on top it goes really well with that oak to where it kind of it, it doesn't cut each other up yeah. it just it just coats it now this is the time of year to be telling people that mm-hmm. because of you know hunting and everything that's going on mm-hmm. right now and i just had this conversation with a friend of mine about that so a nice rabbit dish what else um, okay, so the well, the one that we're tasting right now if you want to taste it Hang on. <laughs> hard work folks <laughs> Oh, that's good. <laughs> that's good. So it's very bright. Yeah. Um, v- fresh fruit, very delicate, but it's but the body of it's very creamy. Yeah. And it's a little bit of oak. I don't really want to say butter, really. It's more of mallow. So when you say buttery, you think of just thick butter, whereas uh, when I say mallow fermenta- uh, malolactic fermentation, mm-hmm. it's they put the wine through a second fermentation to really cream, like make it dairy almost, like a rich kind of cream. Um, nice kick on the back of the palate mm-hmm. too. Right, so it's that bright acidity at the end, and um, I finishes th- very well. Mm-hmm. It's very balanced. It's very balanced. I mean, they they, it's not overkill. And so mm-hmm. this is a kind of wine if you like heavier whites, you can drink it by itself. Mm-hmm. But it pairs really well. This is a really versatile one because you can pair it with. I mean, I would even pair it with a cheesecake. Um, oh. But uh, I would... See, I don't do cheesecake as much as I used to, <laughs> like for the past 10 years or so, because <laughs> once I start, it's hard to stop. And, you know, that's... I always say you work out a lot to be able to eat whatever you want to eat. Right. But, you know, and it's like, this is this is really good. Well, and it's got that little bit of a citrus lemon-lime kind yes. of... Yes. Which is funny because some certain French uh, Chardonnays have that lemon-lime um, kind of 
freshness to it. So again, that's why I like love this one because it's it's very very approachable. Am I wrong to say that I get the slight hint of pear? Absolutely. Yeah. This is this is this is it's, it's bright fruit. Aha. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. I think I think it's very elegant. So I would pa- be able to pair this with if you wanted um, even like a tomato heirloom salad. There you go. The acidity for that could really balance out with the, with the acidity on this one. Um, mm. I think that, but it can be heavy enough to hold like a very rich chicken dish. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would stick with poultry or certain like a nice rotisserie chicken right, or something right, with a little bit of vegetables. But I would probably do the ve- I would do the rotisserie a little bit creamy, like a little sauce on top. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe root veggies versus broccoli. <laughs> so. Really? Why so? Um, you know, the root veggies, if you cook them down, like with the um, potatoes and, and a perfect kind of seasoning with, with, and you cook the carrots down to where they're soft, Yeah, it's almost like when, when you bite into them, it's, it's not a crunch. It's just, it kind of covers the mouth. It's, mm-hmm. just, it's just heavy. So you'd want something bright to kind of come in, and, uh, but, it's, but it's creamy enough to where it balances with it. So hmm. it's not it's not too bright to where it's like a Sauvignon Blanc where all acidity and grape yeah. and lemon I mean, um, grapefruit and lemon me, melon I can't talk grapefruit <laughs> and melon um, but yeah it's not like that it has a little more balance to it so I think that would be a good poultry dish yeah I think it would be well with um, heirloom tomato salad I think it would pair even well with like a beet salad What's a big no no well, yeah, or give us a few of the don'ts when you're talking to people about, like, I know the, the, the main assumption I would tell people about wine is don't assume that a wine, a bottle of wine has to cost $300 right. to be amazing. That, that really isn't mm-hmm. true. So outside of that, what are some other no-nos that you would advise people uh, you know, to stay away from? One of the things with wine etiquette is uh, <laughs> I had a gentleman came in and, and bought a, a bottle of wine and um, he was it was in the middle of um, uh, I can't talk I can't think oh yeah <laughs> I'm sorry I, uh, he was in the middle of shopping for Christmas and I, I he got this nice bottle of wine yeah. for a family family member and mm-hmm. left it in his car while he went to shop at the mall and it when I tell you ruined the it forced the cork Christmas this past year. Yeah. Oh gosh, it was it was eighty know, degrees almost every day before Christmas. I know. It was Ouch. It, it's not only ruined the wine, actually he was worried he came back in because the, the cork started pushing through the foil. Like the foil was being pushed. Air up and was everything. expanding and Oh, it was it was awful and I felt, you know, terrible because it was a nice bottle of wine, so he just gave him a different bottle. But I said, You you just when when people say that heat damages wine, that's an understatement. I mean, it, it really just it completely ruins it. So, um, <laughs> if if you guys have any wine, you know, at, at your house with a little, you know, um, not cellar, but mm-hmm. even a rack, I would absolutely keep it away from sunlight, not in a window somewhere. Mm-hmm. Um, that's why all the wine cellars and a lot of wine in France and and California, other places, they have them pretty much in caves, I mean, right. Because of the cool and the the, the no, you know, no sunlight because yeah. it's just going to mess with it. So um, I would highly recommend um, keeping it out of sunlight. And uh, with the do's and don'ts of the actual wine, um, um, and you had said the, what, what was, what, what did you say? The, oh, yeah, the, 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 the cost. And and yeah, the cost. Yeah. Well, yeah. And um, I also, we had talked earlier about another wine that you had asked me about, I'm trying to think. But um, I think wine doesn't have to be expensive a lot of the time, sometimes it's marketing as well, because mm-hmm. if it's a well-known area and sure. you know so forth, and it, it's it's made it it's paved its way, just yeah. like any brand, Ray Ban yeah. and all that yeah. kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, but if it's like Camus, for instance, right, which is a brand new, well, the fam, the Wagner family, 
out of California. They've been making wine for years. But Camus in the last five, six years has become a superstar, maybe even longer than that, but just really in the last few. And I'm sure you get tired of people like Clay Young asking you about Camus all the time. <laughs> Never. You just bought and me out of it. So <laughs> that's, I, that's a, I did do that. So, uh, but what about those superstar wines that are, that are legitimately good mm-hmm. and they become like almost fad, like, it, you know, everybody knows about Camus, you right. know, it's like, but no, 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 everybody doesn't have to know about right. it. Right. But what about that when that happens? Like you get it and people, Hey, do you have Camus? I have a perfect example. Okay. okay. So. We all know, the entire nation knows Miomi, Pinot Noir. Yeah. It is the top-selling Pinot Noir almost for the last two years. Um, I get it. I get it. It's, it's juice. Everyone likes it. It's easy to drink. It's very approachable. Yeah, I mean, it's, yeah. it's really, if I'm trying to get someone off of white and just get them into red, yeah. everyone says, oh, Pinot Noir, because it's light. Well, Miomi is very fruit-forward, yeah. you know? So we have... Does it knock you down? Yeah, you know, I just... It, it's we, we, we get it. You like it. Um, but moving past that... Yeah. Um, Another wine that I really love that I have eased people into every time they mention Miomi and I know that they have tasted it, but they want something else. They're kind of that 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 um, delivery where I can yeah. see it in their face. They yeah. well, you know, I'm just going to get it because I always know it. Right. I bring them a splash of the Anthony and Dominic Pinot Noir. Hmm. It's 100% Napa juice, um, all, all uh, Pinot Noir. It's absolutely wonderful. And it offers more, it's like a sweet tobacco yeah. with a dark chocolate, with fruit. I mean, I think wow, it offers... that would go great with a cigar. Mm, yes. I think I told you to have some before. I don't know that I have. <laughs> but, but you're I, stuck on Malbec right I, now. Yeah. So. <laughs> I, I kind of am. I kind of am. And, and every time I'm there, but I just trust you. Like, I remember one of the first times, I, I, I forget what I was asking for. And you said, try this. And I tried it. And then it happened again. It's like, you know what? Just whatever you bring me, I'll be good. <laughs> I just trust you. It's like, yeah, well, it's going to be good. And that shows someone also that has a... Uh, that. It pays attention and actually has a true focus and passion for it because I love to find wines that people love. It gets me so excited because then we talk about it and then I ask them if they find new wines for me to go taste. And so the palate, your palate's ever evolving. Absolutely. Um, actually, they say study has said um, every five years your palate kind of changes. Which I, I could believe that. I could mm-hmm. believe that. Some of the the sensory reactions on your palate that you get when you're tasting it, trying to figure out what is that flavor mm-hmm. or, you know, what is it doing? Is there a kick? Like I said, right. is it mouthful? Like when you taste it, it's like, pow, yeah. it, it, you know, right. blows up. So one more note on this, on this Chardonnay before we move on here, what would you say stay away from? Okay. If you're going to have a nice Chardonnay, it, it it's going to be harsh if you have it with. Don't do red meat. Okay. I just think the thing, when you said earlier about, about um, having steaks, a steak with steak a cat, yeah, right. There's a reason that you don't have it with a Pinot Noir. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're having, especially like a ribeye with fat, not a fillet yeah. cut, yeah, um, you want that tannin. You don't want the acidity. The mm-hmm. acidity is is the the feeling that your gums get sticky, you know, and, yeah. and it kind of dries your mouth out. But it's not really acidity and tannin are very similar in in trying to explain it, but they're two different feels. Right. Acidity will dry your mouth out, but leave it like your gums sticky. Mm-hmm. Um, and it has a bite, whereas tannin has a spicy bite, and it dries your mouth out. It doesn't leave it sticky, but you feel it drying your mouth mm-hmm, out. It's just mm-hmm. dry on your mouth. So you acidity doesn't handle well with fat, like fatty, because the fat coats your mouth. Okay. So you want that tannin to come in and bust through. Yeah. So that the whole point is you'd want like a Cab or Merlot or a really good Syrah. Syrah has the highest tannin um, normally out of all the grapes um, when it comes to Merlot, Cab, mm-hmm. Cab Franc. 
Um, so a really fatty steak with a rich 100%, 100% Syrah is awesome. Um, I love it. Well, let me ask you for, you know, after five, someone's getting in after, say, a long day and you know, two, three times a week, they take the occasion to have a glass of wine, one glass of wine, either before dinner or maybe after dinner, mm -hmm. uh, just to kind of, you know, coat the evening as you move or coat the day as you move into the evening. What do you recommend? Something that is going to be smooth, pleasurable, but won't knock your head off because you're not trying to get a buzz. You just kind of want to you know, relax a little bit. Well, I can give you two things. My personal favorite, at what I like to have, what I enjoy, mm -hmm. and another one that is really popular to start your meal off. Okay. Um, in Italy and certain places, it's really adapting across the world. People like a glass of Prosecco to start off with because it's not heavy. It, it's bubbly, but it's not sweet like Moscato, but it's not dry like champagne. It's a little bit citrus. It's very clean. Mm -hmm. So um, it's very easy to enjoy. And um, a Prosecco is wonderful to enjoy at your house, especially in this hot Louisiana weather. Yeah. Um, and not right now, of course. It's yeah, cold, but, but well, it depends but, on the day. Right, right. We, we were 80 degrees one day last <laughs> week and 40 the next. Right. You know, what do you do? So most, most of the year, um, yeah. you can enjoy a Prosecco. Uh, what I like to enjoy... Um, with a red, I really actually enjoy a good Malbec. Um, it can be a little oaky, but again, I also have my palate. I, I like heavier wines. Yeah. Um, if I'm going to drink a, a very light wine, I tend to drink Burgundian style, mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. Chardonnays and Pinots. Um, but I think that for across the board, for for something easy for people to approach, a Vouvray. It's uh, the the region in France called Vouvray, mm -hmm. and it's Chenin Blancs. And they almost have like a sweeter taste to it, but it's not Riesling sweet. It's more of like a sweet fruit. And um, well, what about it's very Re clean. okay Riesling, uh, Moscatos? You know, from from different uh, uh, winemakers. Mm -hmm. You know, ladies tend to gravitate more to a Riesling mm -hmm. or a Moscato. You know. And so how would you categorize those wines? I mean, I don't get into good or bad. You like what you like. So right, it's, right. I don't make those, I'm not making right. those judgments, but a I'm bad, saying. A bad wine's a bad wine on its own. It's not. Absolutely. It's not absolutely. Taste, right. Everybody has a right to enjoy what they, right. what they, right. you know, enjoy. Right. But how would you categorize those? Is more of a dessert wine? Yes, or, for, okay. absolutely. It's um, dessert wines I'd pair, I, I would put in the category of obviously port and Madeira. Mm -hmm. uh, Madeira is very intense though. So, <laughs> But they're higher in sugar content. Right. The, the higher. They're sweeter. The higher residual the sugar level, yeah. the higher the alcohol level, because the sugar turns into alcohol when it's fermented. So how do you come to that end to be sweeter, uh, say like a, a Moscato versus, say, a, a nice cab? You know, well, no, I let's let's not do that because uh, that, that's <laughs> white and red. Uh, let's say a Moscato versus, say, a Chardonnay. Okay. Okay. Um, Moscato, you know, I, and honestly, out of all the Moscatos I've had, and I've had quite a few tasting to try to put them on a sure, wine list. Sure, sure, sure. Um, I would highly recommend always sticking with Italian Moscato. There are a couple that I've had in, from California that were, mm -hmm. but a true Moscato, it's a, it's an Italian grape and it comes from Italy. What's the difference? I mean, what what's the taste difference? Moscato, you know, it, it's it's sweeter. Yeah. But when you get a really good one, it's it has many le levels, layers, okay. and it, it's it's the bubbles are in the front, and yeah. then this and then this really easy palate on the you know in the in the mid in the mid. And then on the finish, it's it's very clean. It's not dry, mm -hmm. so it it finishes quickly. So you kind of want to have another sip. Yeah. So when you get all those levels, you, you're kind of like, okay, well, this is I can keep drinking this. Yeah. You know, there's 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 and there's no long finish that sit in the back of your throat waiting. You know, mm -hmm. so you just keep drinking. So um, I think that the Riesling versus Moscato or Chardonnay drinkers, 
I think honestly, for the most part, especially in uh, United States and Louisiana, especially when people are drinking the Chardonnays, they they're they're looking for that oaky and butter and all yeah. that kind of stuff, yeah. which is simply absolutely not Riesling and Moscato. No, um, Moscato drinkers are going to be you know one of those that they want sparkling and they want to have fun with the yeah. the fun bubble of it yeah. all, but they don't want the dry champagne. They don't yeah. want the toast and the biscuit kind of taste and everything. That stuff will knock your head off though. I mean, if <laughs> after it, a couple, because <laughs> I just you know I encourage enjoying it, but if especially if you're driving, you want. <laughs> You want to be careful right, right. not to. I mean, you don't even want to be in buzz territory right. because that could easily become something else. But right. those kinds of you know wines after a glass, it's like, oh man, so right. you think oh, this is so light. It's just a moscato, and you know, after a second or two, you're looking around, going, "Is the room moving, or right. or what's going on?" You know. Right. So go well, ahead. No, yeah, and and uh, riesling is also a one that it's easy to. Um, it's easy to enjoy. It's apple and honey, and just it's 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 a smoother palate. Yeah, it's much smoother. There's no bubble, and there's no oak and butter and spice. Yeah, it's just a smooth palate. So anyone that really just wants a good juicy, you know, um, mid medium bodied kind of wine, but they don't want to be committed to a, a dessert or a yeah. you know something like that. It, it's it's something that people can enjoy because it's um just. Well, like I said, very approachable. So what's next on the list here? Okay. So we're going to do, I have a Spanish Merlot that you did smell. It smells like king it. cake or something. <laughs> it does. And then I have the Barossa Valley Estate Chardonnay, I mean, uh, Shiraz. So this is going to be. I don't know that I've ever had a Shiraz. Well, we'll do that because I think, I'm pretty sure the last time I tasted this, it was, the Merlot's heavier um, because they're both, Shiraz can be spicy and mm-hmm. um, and definitely medium to full bodied okay. for sure. But um I think that we should taste that one first. Ooh, I'm okay. sorry. Boy, she pours heavy. <laughs> yeah. I'm telling you, you live once, and it's alcohol well, abuse if hey, you don't finish listen, it. That's exactly right. Hey, what about that for people who are asking about opening a bottle of wine, that there is there is the whole thought that if you open a bottle, uh, you have to finish it like when you open it. I don't know if that's just kind of a no. saying people have, because no. I've never believed that to have to be the case, no. especially if you open a bottle alone. No, that's, that's, uh, <laughs> I, I, have, I have weight. I, I'm not even going to tell you the number of bottles I have in my house because yeah, I'm embarrassed. Right. Well, but. no, but what, for, for what you do, it wouldn't surprise people. Right. But I mean, if I if you're alone and you open a bottle of red, right. it's like, no, don't think you have to finish that bottle in a... I mean, what are you going to do? You're going to be hammered right. by the time you're yeah. done with it. Well, that also depends on the liver because... Um, uh, <laughs> because <laughs> I mean, there is that. I, I hate to say it because my, my dad's side is Irish and my mom's side is French, so we can put oh, away God. some. I can put away some wine. Um, I mean, there, there have been times where I'm working on papers and everything on the floor um, on my living room, and I'll yeah. the, the bar Malbec that you and yeah, I both yeah, love. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The bar winery can't make a bad wine, but I, no. I'll, I'll, I've literally killed a whole bottle and not even noticing. I'm like, well, I feel fine. Let's open up another one. You know, just, <laughs> I'm not driving anywhere, you know. But so uh, it, it's good <laughs> to be Caitlin. <laughs> but um, but yeah, uh, but taste this one. Wow, very plummy. Yeah, you get plums and black cherry and. Wow, dry, but it—that's that's definitely dry um, and uh, wow, plummy, very powerful. Mm-hmm. It's kind of perfume as well on the on the nose, um, but no, it, it this one's a beautiful one because it has a medium finish, but um, it's dry, but it's not that dry Bordeaux or no. it, it, it's it's. I think it's beautiful. I think it we, really is. Yeah, well, tell me more about it. So, um, Australia is obviously. And by the way, if people are keeping score and they're interested in knowing what was it again, this is the Barossa Valley Shiraz, and this is a 2013. 
and well, the Barossa Valley Estate, they call their estate that, yeah. um, but it is from the Barossa Valley area in, um, in Australia. And it can be very dry. Yes, it is. But and, in a good way, though. Mm-hmm. But man, it finishes dry. What would you pair this with? This one, um, something earthy. I think it would be really good. Lamb. With, yes, definitely. Lamb. Syrah and Shiraz go well with lamb. That's for sure. I would pair, pair this with lamb. Um, I mean, definitely some beef. Um, something earthy. I mean, it could it could be what about pork. You know, it depends with pork. Um, like pork, a, a nice thick cut pork chop. Yeah, I don't. I mean, pork chops to me, it depends. I'm kind of picky with pork chops, actually. It, just cause I, I kind of am too, but you know, it's depending on where you get like it and shrimp. how it's how it's prepared and the whole now, thing. Now, pork belly, this would be great with pork belly. I think a, a fatty piece with just a shred. Yeah, and that's just, a little just, looser too, right? And if you braise it, I think a, a braised oh. piece of meat would be really good with this. Um, I, I absolutely think. That. And speaking of pairing, because we talked about this before the the show started. Um, yes, <laughs> yes, it's so funny. You, you know, we it, it, we're simpatico because I just crossed my mind what you said to me before the show. Okay, hold your socks up because this might knock them off. Go ahead. Okay, so we're reverting back to whites. To, to white, yeah. Because we did Chardonnay, but I should have right. said, said this before before we tasted the Chardonnay. So sparkling wine. Yeah. Um, one of my favorite things to pair it with, which actually you should look up. It's impressive that people love it. Fried chicken. Oh, yes. <laughs> so wait so a minute good. now. Let's dig down into that here. We'll come back to this red that I am uh, holding so prominently in my left hand. This is Louisiana. Mm-hmm. It's like you don't go any other place in America to do food right. that's better than here. Mm-hmm. You come here to eat, mm-hmm. right? So there are places to get great fried chicken all over right. Louisiana. In fact, I was in Lafayette last week, and a buddy of mine over there, Moon Griffon, who does a statewide radio show, but he's based in Lafayette, said there's a place there called Rascals. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he says yeah. that they make the best fried chicken he's ever he's ever had. I think he says they sell like a thousand pieces in their lunch period from like, I guess, 11 to whatever. And it's like, what? Oh my so my next time through there, uh-huh. I'm going to go. Right. And maybe what I'll do is get something to take away from there with me and have a bottle of Chardonnay to go with it. Yeah. No, champagne. Or sparkling, champagne. Sparkling, champagne. Yes. So right. champagne and fried chicken. Why, why does that pair so well together? You know, I think it's because of the oils and the fry batter. Hmm. Um, either way, it, and I'm not going to dis- discuss how I discovered this. Um, it's Louisiana. I don't really think that, uh, yeah, that people just, will mind. Right. Well, I mean, it was, it was a late night and I'd never go out and, uh, we stayed out a little late and I wanted fried chicken really badly. Yeah. And, and you uh, opened a bottle of Champers to go with it? Yeah, uh, no, actually I, I left, <laughs> I was too tired. So I left it, um, on the counter and the next morning I went, oh my gosh, I, I'm, I, I shouldn't eat this, but I really want to. And I opened up to make a mimosa. Yeah. Uh, and I'm not an alcoholic, guys. I'm just saying this is uh, it just it was a Sunday, so Sunday fun day. Hey, you know? live, live life, man. Live <laughs> so life. I went to make a mimosa, and we had no orange juice, so I went okay. I'm still drinking the champagne because I just opened it. Yeah. So um, I reheated the fried chicken. I know that that's a that's that's a no no, but I did. No, it's fine. And How'd you reheat it though? We're going to judge you a little oh, bit I, on I, how I, you in the oven. I brought okay, it. Okay, all right. I, I okay. It. No, just I don't want do, to be. No. If you put it in the microwave, I was going to have to right. ask you to leave. So. <laughs> It doesn't, it doesn't, it's not the same with the microwave. No, it's, it's like rubber. It's, yeah, it's no, 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 no. So no. I broiled it and um, even the fries with it. And that makes the crispy come back yes, to it. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And the oils come See, back See, I haven't up. had fried chicken in a long time. You're going to make me go out yeah, and get I know. some. I'll bring some to you. I'll, I'll go at Cane's. It's <laughs> down the street. So. Raising Cane's and champagne. 
And I have some both right across the street. Sounds like a plan. Yes. But go ahead. So so I, I, I sat there and um, the boyfriend came out and looked at me with judgment because he had no idea what was going on. And, uh, I, and I looked at him and I said, don't, don't hate me, but this is absolutely delicious. This is so good. And then... How long did it take him before he jumped in with you? No, he's he's actually quite disciplined. He doesn't eat that kind of stuff. Really? Yeah, I'm. I'm listen, I, I'm the one that has all the personality. He's the listen, good looking one. <laughs> listen, listen, listen. I say, look, I, you. I from time to time, I will enjoy it. Life's too short. Yeah. Oh no, absolutely. No, I mean, I'm, I'm a foodie, and he knows that. We did a quiz one time as a joke. My friends asked me to see what he would get, and they said, "What? What's Caitlin's favorite food?" And he said, "Everything." And I was like, "Oh, that's, that's, he's right." Okay, Taylor, I got to talk with you, man. I'll, we'll have a sidebar about the way you answer questions where the lady is concerned. All right. Wait, but they asked him my favorite color, and he said eggplant. So I was really impressed. Okay, that's actually, so he knew that. So he did. Way to way to save yourself there, Taylor. But um, yeah. So I was tasting the the, the sparkling with the um fried chicken, and yeah. then I contacted my friend who's a psalm in a. Oklahoma, ironically, mm-hmm. and because uh, that's where I went and got my did my level one. Sure, and she's great, and she writes articles for a local magazine for wine. And I told her, and she said, "I just wrote an article about that." She said, "I haven't posted it yet." And we 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 just had this long conversation how well it goes, and so now she's like, "Well, I'm going to go get fried chicken now, and I'll call you back later." So it was oh, one man. of those. It, You're going to make me do it now I know, because I know. champagne and, and you you'd never really think about now, it. Now, not prosecco or moscato. It has to be dry. Like it, it's it, it can't be sweet because that that throws it off because the oils. Yeah. But I think um, even a sparkling wine from California, yeah. but a brute. So let's talk about that champagne. Sparkling wine, you know, the difference. I mean, we've already passed through the New Year's period where right. mm-hmm. that's a big, big thing. But we are also in the carnival season in Louisiana mm-hmm. where there is champagne aplenty all oh, over yes. the southern part the, of the state. The, the Bacchus, the god of wine, is, is, is around us. So for if sure. you're going to have fried chicken and chase it with king cake, you might want to know what goes with it because we know that's a thing here, that right? Is a thing. Okay. <laughs> so, After you have your sugar, you got to have your oils that's and fats. Exactly that's exactly right. <laughs> you know, but, it's like so. So the difference between, say, a sparkling wine and a champagne. Okay, well, it, champagne has to be from the Champagne region of France. That's right. That's where it gets its name, by right. the way. Champagne, because yeah. France Well, labels, most wines, lots of wines get their name from their place of origin. Well, France and places in Italy, definitely in those two places, they label their wines by region, not by grape. Okay. Um, Spain does both. Um, Rioja, but a lot, most of Rioja wines, not most, but a lot of them are Tempranillo. That's the main grape, one of the big grapes there. Um, but in United States and New World, basically, United States, Australia, New Zealand, that's New World, considering New World, and Old World is Europe. Mm-hmm. Um, they label their wines by the grape. Yeah. Well, in, in France, if I say Bordeaux, everyone knows it's a blend. That's right. White or red. Mm-hmm. Um, Vouvray, like I said earlier, which is an easy wine to drink, very light. Uh, that's a Chenin Blanc. So Champagne um, comes from Champagne, France, and um, it's actually a blend of three grapes. The white grape, it's actually only one white grape in it. Mm-hmm. There are three grapes, most uh, about 90% of the time. It's Chardonnay, Pinot Noir, and Pinot Meunier. So it's two red and black Pinot grapes. Pinot Meunier, I don't I'm It's not, a black grape. Yeah. It's a blending grape. Yeah, uh, yeah. Okay. so, um, but um, they, uh, so Chardonnay is the only white grape in it. But um, you could have, I mean, I've had wonderful sparkling wines from California, so, but brute means dry. Mm-hmm. So if it's in a brute fashion, it's the dry fashion. Yeah. And uh, they can have cuvee, which is off dry. I mean, it's certain levels yeah. of different dryness yeah. and, and, you know, um, sec and all that stuff, which is um, Italian for sweet. So um, it just depends. But I would recommend definitely a drier or 
you know, there's some wonderful champagnes that I've had that's almost pear. That's funny you said that earlier. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's got a pear, and it's not really toast and biscuity. Mm-hmm. Like Dom Perignon and Cristal, it's very uh, toast and biscuity. And and you know, I've had, the, you know, I've never had Cristal. Uh, but I've had Dom on more than one occasion, mm-hmm. and I really like it. It mm-hmm. is, it's very good. This may surprise people. It is very good, but it is not so far and away better than, say, a Chandon or something. But it's good. It's very, very good. Well, Veuve Clicquot, I think, is a great. Another one that I really, really love is the Nicolas Foyer. Um, or Foyat, however yeah. you want to say it. Um, it's a it's a French champagne. And it's very well reasonably priced, mm-hmm. and it's beautiful. It's elegant. It's pear. It's stone fruit. It's sure. it's, it's really. And I would, I I really want to say that might be the one I was drinking with the fried chicken. <laughs> well, I want to go back to something because I saw your reaction when I said uh, to Cristal because I hadn't had it, and and and, and I I think I know where you were going to go about how. Uh, about it but let me say this because maybe i'm assuming wrong it's it's gained so much attention because of media and music right. and all of that stuff right, right and i never really make choices based on that no it, i think cristal is a fine wine there's nothing wrong oh, with it sure it's i just, guess it is people right, drink it right it's just i think that um it's one of those examples that you do not need to spend a lot of money to have a decent amount no, a decent wine no. and i for the price it's foolery really right for yeah. the price of it um there are other wines. <laughs> what What does it retail for? Um, I think I've never Cristal, even asked for it, so I don't know. I mean, Dom Perignon, I think a hundred, a hundred and ten. Oh, retail. Dom's more than that. From well, now, when now I've I gotten think, it. yeah, okay, now yeah, it is. I yeah. Think, uh, when I had it a couple of years ago, the first time I was twenty one, my aunt surprised me with a bottle for my twenty first birthday to taste it because she Get looked at me. <laughs> out. <laughs> yeah, she's she has a wonderful. You turned twenty one and you drank Dom. <laughs> I was destined to be a psalm. No question about it. How do you go back from that? <laughs> she surprised me with a bottle because she bought me. She bought me six champagne flutes. She's got wonderful taste. All my nice wow. things are from her, and she. Yeah, she, I think you're starting your own fan club on this show. <laughs> so, but yeah, so I tasted it and I liked it. But I mean, I, well, I mean, I better in front of her, especially because yeah. she just paid for it. But yeah, but you're not going to dislike Dom, right? Though. I want to say it was between 105, 120 when yeah. I saw it at Calvin's, yeah. ironically. Yeah. yeah. Because I lived near there, so I, uh, I saw Mathern's, it. not Mathern's, uh, Calandro's on Perkins near okay. Segan sells it as well. Now, it might be up to 130 now. That was, you A little know. bit more than that now, because yeah. I, I saw it uh, last year, I think, and I wanted to get it for New Year's, and they didn't have it then. Mm-hmm. It's like, well, and I, which was odd, but... Right. You know, but but yeah, so... So now, I think Cristal's in the same price area, yeah. like price, yeah, so... I mean, never really had the occasion right. to ask for it. I, I just, I just try not to be in the habit of mm-hmm. wanting something just because it's all over media and especially right. music media. It's like, yeah, you know. You know, another champagne that I really truly loved. I was at this grand wine, t- this big, I mean, over two hundred wines to taste, and it was just wonderful. And I do that about three or four times a year because if we get invited by the um, distributing companies. Mm-hmm. And there was one. I was in New Orleans, and I told Taylor. Um, I said, I found my champagne that I wanted to toast at my wedding. I'm, I'm just saying. And I love it. It's so good. And he said, well, I'm glad you got a head start on that. And um, it, hope, I hope you wrote that down, boy. <laughs> <laughs> and it is, um, it's called H.L. Biln, B-I-L-N. And it's very affordable. Um, I mean, it's mid-range, but it is so beautiful. They, they make, yeah. it's all from champagne. They only do champagne. And they have, I think, seven or eight different ones of rosé, you know, drier, sweeter, Beautiful. I mean, it, they were gorgeous wines. And if um, Select, the, yeah. the distributing company that has it, yeah. 
anywhere, if you go into a store and say, hey, do you order from Select? Can you get this? I mean, it's... Now, listen, if you don't know this, you can go to Ben 77. You can buy wines there, but you can also ask Caitlin about where to find a wine. Generally speaking, if they don't have it, they can get it or they know where you can get it. So as a resource, if you're having a party Mm -hmm. or an event and you're trying to build a list of wines to serve... Go to Ben 77. Not just that, they have a lot of them there, so you could buy them from the place. Right. And you guys stock wines in the place. Right. If I, if I can't get it, I'll make a call. <laughs> so That's exactly right. Um, but I have about 400 wines, and uh, that's total. Yeah. And then by 400, the, really? I, have I didn't the, know it was that many. The whole wine wall that you see every yeah. time you walk in. And then, and then you have a the cellar. cellar. Yeah. Yes. And then we have two, fr- uh, two wine fridges upstairs in the wine room. So um, then I've got... Uh, but we have over 65 wines by the glass in wow. the bistro side. Yeah. And the sidebar side. Sidebar, which, which is across- by the way, that's right. It's across the courtyard, best courtyard in Baton Rouge. It's across the courtyard. The sidebar is more of a, what would, how would you describe De- sidebar? A craft cocktail bar. Craft cocktail bar. It's abs- that's the theme. It's, it's, a like New- it. it's a New Orleans style kind of craft cocktail bar that we, we, we renovated it. And it's focused on craft cocktails with a small, small uh, focus on you know, bar food, just a little bit of tapas, you know, items. Yeah. And I have about 20 wines by the glass, 10 reds, 10 whites. Nice. So total, we have over 80 wines by the glass. Yeah. So if, you know, if you're a wine drinker and you can't find something to drink at my bar, I, 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 I'm, I will find something. It's impossible. But I'm just- <laughs> okay. Before we get to the last one. All right. Let's put Caitlin on the spot here because this is a food place, right? So mm-hmm. I'm going to throw out some dishes. That, okay. that are common to Louisiana okay. that people are having. And then we can go through your suggestion of what to pair with it. Now, we already had the surprise entrant to fried chicken there with okay. champagne. And I'm pretty sure that's going to go down for a lot of people over the next <laughs> couple of days, me being one of them. So let's throw a few at her. Okay, gumbo. This is the time of year where people are slamming back gumbo because the weather is right for it. So if you're going to have gumbo and you want a nice wine to pair with it, your suggestion would be what? Red or white. You're the psalm, not me. So what would you say? That's my thing. I always ask because people get what they want. So (laughs) So, okay, so let's go light. You know, if you're if you're going to have a gumbo, generally the best gumbos are those that have robust flavor. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's going to just hit you the spices, the you know everything about it. So what would you say? You know, it depends. If you want lighter, I would definitely suggest a California Pinot Noir. Um, cause the, Pinot Noir, really? Right now, because I've had a couple that are right, that, that they're full of baking spices. It's hmm. like it's like your mother's cupboard just opened and it's just a bunch yeah, of spicy yeah, things, yeah. which is fun. Yeah. So it depends if you want a lot of flavor going on there. It yeah. might be too much for people. Um, another one that I would say, you know... A Shiraz wouldn't be that bad. A light-bodied Shiraz. This is a heavier body, yeah. but a light-bodied Shiraz wouldn't be that bad either with that. Um, I and, could see that with some gumbo. Right. Because, I, I mean, it's not yeah, overpowering yeah, yeah. with the spice. And you don't want heavy, like, oak. and You don't want cab. Yeah, you know? yeah. So I think a light Shiraz, I think, okay. um, you know, I think... I honestly thought you were about to ask me shrimp and grits, and I. Oh no! Just wait oh, yeah. about, we got to. Oh, yeah. We just. I was just, waiting because I know you used to no, like that. No, <laughs> that's, it's just we're just starting. So <laughs> so let's say so let's say gumbo is one. Okay. Uh, red beans and rice. Mm. Mm-hmm. No, no, I want some. So yeah. uh, I'm going to go to Popeyes after. <laughs> Um, I think red beans and rice, that's heavy. So I think mm-hmm. that, that, that really opens up. I, w- I, I still wouldn't do a really heavy tannin red. Okay. That what is, would you that's do? just too much. I think, you know, the earthiness, 
I think you could do like a Chilean Chardonnay. Ooh. Like a, you know, yeah. just try, yeah, that or, you know, I'm really, really thinking about, oh, put me on the spot I with see that the one. wheels turning I know, there are two, I'm throwing around like four or five wines, but I'm thinking what would go really well with that. Um, you know, a Chilean Chardonnay, because it's tropical fruit and fun, but it's big. Yeah. Um, and that would kind of throw off the earthiness of the beans. So, I mean, but that could be completely, you know, left field and wrong. But, mm-hmm. I mean, I think I would think that'd be fun to taste but next to each other. Um, I would honestly probably do a red. I would I would do a red, but I couldn't do a Cabin Merlot. That's too much. Okay. So I would either do... Yeah, too do, heavy. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's just... that, that That's going to overpower it beyond belief. But um, And I can't imagine the spices from a good red bean dish with that. I can't imagine that that would just go... You know what yeah. might be good, though, for white? Okay. A Viognier. Hmm. Oaky and, yeah. cr- and, and just... just just big, um, the uh, no butter. There's not really any butter on. It. It's like more floral. Okay. So you bounce the floor with the earthiness of, yeah. the, of the beans. Um, so Viognier might. That's the only white that I would probably do right now. And the reds, I would probably do. I'm gonna pull some out of my hat. Um, I think that it would be better with maybe an Italian, maybe a super Tuscan. How about a nice uh, spaghetti dish? Nice meat sauce, definitely Italian meatballs. You definitely know, so what, what would you, what would you say? Well, because the tomato sauce and the acidity of the tomato sauce, yeah. because it's an Italian dish, okay. um, they're designed that way. Yeah. We 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 did have a wonderful um, Il Gazzano uh, Super Tuscan that actually tasted like spicy tomatoes. So wow. I would I would probably do um, a Chianti. Um, if that's not heavy enough, because Chiantis are a hit or miss with me because the body is so light and, and they're chilled. Well, that well, that helps out actually. Yeah. Um, the the bodies are so light, but the acidity is so high. Mm-hmm. I prefer more of a balance, which is why I love Super Tuscans yeah. blend. But um, yeah, the uh, the Sp- when I was in Spain, they chilled their wines, um, most of them, the reds, and I was just like, this is so good. <laughs> I mean, I had this this two thousand eight Crianza Tempranillo that was just awesome, but with mussels, and I was like, oh, this wow. is gonna be terrible together. I was like, because you know, it's just. Well, just not the way it's supposed to go. And they chilled it and it was just perfection. And mm. so now with all my Spanish wines, I'm like, I have to, I have to chill these. I, I have so to do this. So salmon. Salmon. A nice salmon dish. You would have to go with a, with a Chardonnay because sam, salmon's so fatty. Yeah. Um, and it, it's fishy. I, I would not pair it with a Sauvignon Blanc. Mm. I would, I would not do the, the, the high acidity and just mm-hmm. the, the light, light, mm-hmm. you know, citrus. Yeah. I would either do a really creamy mallow, um, well, not not really too creamy and sweet. I would probably do more of an oak, or um, I would do, you know, it, I, I think that a Pinot Grigio might go well with that. If it's, Pinot Grigio, if if it's Gosh, if it's got it's enough oak on it, such a long time since I had a Pinot Grigio. What about um, sea bass? Like I love Chilean sea bass. Okay. What would you do with that? Now, oh, I'll that's gener- oily. I'll, yeah, and I'll generally get it with like steamed. Uh, spinach or something just really it's super healthy but that fish is so rich See, you know so what would you do with that that's definitely all white i mean you yeah. could not even touch yeah uh, not even pinot. some people actually have suggested pinot noirs to me and i i just don't yeah, I, I that's that's not what i but again if, if people really want the pinot noir you know, yeah. give them what you want See, i would think chardonnay with, um, a, with a with a sea bass you could definitely do a creamy mallow yeah. chardonnay yeah um but the sea bass that i've always had had such it was oily but a very thin layer mm-hmm. and it was it it's not as like I love flounder yeah and that's that's definitely that's, good that, too. that's dense I mean that's okay. a dense yeah. I, I don't really see you know um, 
Chilean sea bass is definitely more flaky, I guess. Yeah. Once you get, yeah. yeah. So it's, it's, I would do, um, Chardonnay would work fine. I think that though with, you could experiment more with, with other whites with the, with the sea bass. Mm-hmm. So if you wanted to get a, a more toned down, a more elegant Sauvignon Blanc, mm-hmm. not as like New Zealand style, yeah. more of like a fruit forward, yeah. uh, from California, yeah. you could do that or you could do, um, I mean, uh, a Gruner Veltliner would go well with that. It's an Austrian wa- an Austrian yeah. grape that's grown in actually in a valley in a couple of places in California. I think a Gruner Veltliner would go really well because um, it's a little spicy. Yeah. But not the spice people think about. What about jambalaya? Spice Malbec. I think oh. I, I think I, I think I think that would I think uh, if it, it depends also how spicy it is. And, yeah. And, and the reason why I grew up not really liking it, I was really picky with jambalaya because it can be really dry and my friend James makes the best jambalaya because he, he did it because he was like me. He's like, I'm, I hate dry jambalaya and he just <laughs> makes his really just rich and I just love it. And so, um, but for the really like Gonzalez, the jambalaya state, the capital of the world, no question about um, it, <laughs> that, uh, they, I would probably kill a Malbec with that one. Okay. Yeah. All right. So, uh, we talked about sea bass and salmon and flounder fried catfish. Come on, Caitlin. Fried this catfish. is Baton Rouge. This is the capital city <laughs> area. Although the best catfish I've ever had has always been in Lafayette for some crazy reason. But uh, fried catfish. Really? Yeah. Tony's oh, Seafood isn't the best? I, I, oh, I, yeah. Tony's is good. I Tony's can, is good. Oh, but my gosh. Yeah. I can tear up some. I, I drive all the way out there for a po' boy. Listen, there's a place in Lafayette called Dwight's. Yeah. I've oh. never been there. Oh, my goodness. In <laughs> fact, Orlando had her first uh, serving of boudin there. Never had it before. And, wow. and it was spicy. It was spicy. I love boudin. Just ask her to I tell love, you the story. Yeah. It was, <laughs> and, you, and that's that's gonna be really spicy because she can handle some spice. Uh, she yeah. can. Oh my god, I've seen her put away a rack of ribs. I've I, just never seen somebody so little eat that. I know. <laughs> that I know. Way, but she could stack it away. And, but what about fried catfish? Fried catfish. Um, I think that we get the fry batter, probably sparkling wine, maybe. But um, oh. um, but champagne and fried fish. <laughs> Come on now. <laughs> Killing me. Well, not and not really. I mean, you could more do like a sparkling wine versus a champagne. You don't want too dry because that that fish. I don't want. I don't think it'd be good with really dry wine. But um, hey, look, I all think, of y'all, just like me, we're gonna blame her, saying we were only doing research. <laughs> we were trying to we're fact check. Wine. We were fact checking what she said. That's why we did it. Right. I think that um, honestly, uh, fried catfish. Oh. That would have to be just a smooth, uh, easy white, just a spring, easy white, okay. uh, maybe a Chenin Blanc, maybe I would probably do something floral and just spring-like. All right. I, I think that it would be, um, and if you wanted to Google and research spring white wines, <laughs> I mean, that they, I'm sure Gruner Veltliner would pop up, um, Chenin Blanc, but um, I wouldn't do a Pinot Grigio. I think that'd be a little too off. Yeah. Um, yeah, I wouldn't with do fried a, catfish. No, yeah, I couldn't I, imagine I, that. Either. I wouldn't do a Sauvignon Blanc either. I would probably do something very easy and floral. Maybe an Albarino. Albarino can be. It's a Spanish uh, grape, uh, a yeah. white grape, and it was. Um, it's it's floral. It definitely is floral. Maybe. All right. So lamb chops. We talked. We referenced this earlier in the show, but lamb chops. Petite Syrah. Ooh. Okay. For sure. Duck okay. goes. Duck goes great with petite. Syrah duck. Too. That's another one I forgot. Duck, duck. goes great with petite. Syrah. Well, what about turkey? Pinot Noir. Really? Yeah, you get the cranberries because you know because Pinot Noir. I mean, it, it. There's also a beautiful wine called the Orcus um, that is a blend, and uh, my good friend Ben, who works for Uncorked, yeah. tasted it, and it just tasted like fall in a cup. 
and I begged him for a bottle. And so um, for my birthday, he gave me a bottle and I opened that on Thanksgiving day with cranberry sauce and turkey and oh. Lord, it was so good. But, um, but no, I think that um, a lot of Mer- a lot of Pinot Noirs have a cranberry, raspberry, sometimes strawberry, all those berries that you, yeah. you, you want to see on a plate around a turkey, you know, and because it, it compliments. So I'll throw these at you. Let's talk a little bit about desserts now. This is the mm-hmm. king cake season. So mm-hmm. if you're going to, and king cakes are everywhere. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, Gambino's in Baton Rouge is a place to go if you want a really good king cake. Right. Uh, I've heard about a couple of other places, but Gambino's has been making king cakes for a million years for people. And they're delicious. And they're, they're unbelievable. They I, never stop. I try not to have them in the building because that's like my weakness. <laughs> so when they come in, I keep, uh, I, I put them in the kitchen and I turn them on to everybody else. Yeah. Eat so, them. So what would you pair with a king cake? Ooh, um, honestly, I know I keep going back to Chardonnay because, but Chardonnay is a versatile grape. It's grown everywhere in the world because it can literally take every kind of climate. Mm-hmm. Pinot Noir only grows in cool, moderate areas. Grenache goes great, grows wonderful in hot areas. Chardonnay, there literally is not one country right now that's making wine that doesn't have Chardonnay somewhere. Um, maybe wow. except for maybe Hungary, not really, or Greece, yeah. but that's about it. Um, you because you can do so much with it, yeah. So, there's a wonderful French Chardonnay that's from Burgundy that is totally opposite of what a lot of Burgundy wines are hmm. very creamy, almost caramel. So, it's yeah, that sounds like that would go great, yes. With king cake. So, I would say either that or, um, you know, it really just it just depends. I mean, it, it that that it, I wouldn't do a red if you did, you would have to do like a red no. blend. If you did, I, I you just could, couldn't you, think of a you could do a red blend that's really jammy. And that would go well. But for I mean, instance, like you know, honestly, the Apothic Red, the Apothic Red is a really easy yeah. red blend that everyone knows right now, and that yeah. it's really good. And um, I think the blackberries and the jam with it, especially if you're eating like a cream cheese stuff, you yeah. know, um, king cake. Yeah. Um, what about uh, cheesecake? You referenced that earlier. Cheesecake is pretty popular around mm-hmm. here. I'll give you two, and you can do them back to back. Cheesecake and some form of cobbler, like Louis, like I, there are all kinds of cobbler here. Okay, cheesecake. Um, the same Chardonnay that would go well with the um, king cake, I would say, or a white port. A white mm. port goes really well with that. Um, or a really good Riesling. Yeah. Um, and like a, an age, because the older the Riesling gets, when you taste, hint for everybody that tastes Rieslings, and if y'all want to learn how to blind taste, I would love to you know, train people. That's the next show. Because <laughs> you got to have you back. Oh, so. yeah. No. Um, but the, when you're tasting a Riesling, if you taste a lot of honey where it coats the mouth, that kind of signifies age. So a really good aged Riesling that has yeah. a lot of honey that would go awesome with um, cheesecake or bread pudding. I mean, what was that? Was it cheesecake? Cheesecake or, or a cobbler? I'm sorry, I thought bread pudding. Bread pudding um, is a big deal around here. You're too. right, and that goes well with that too. I but. just I spoke with someone a few weeks ago who says at the end of carnival season she takes leftover king cakes and makes a bread pudding out of them. That sounds diabetically awesome. That's just. That's I that, mean, that sounds. That I would say that's for that just. Heartbeat. It's. Yeah. Yeah, I would. I would be like. <laughs> <laughs> diabetically awesome. Yeah, like, that, oh, just... that officially is the best phrase so far this morning. All right, uh, let's get to this last okay. one here. And so, by the way, as you get ready to tell me about that, uh, I purchased a bottle of Opus. Yes, you did. And I have not opened it yet. Yeah, uh, was it 11? 11. 2011. It was 11. You're right. Never had it. Mm-hmm. I've heard people say that it is. It's the suite. It's the penthouse, the top level of wines. That's what I've heard. Right. You know, generally, I don't run on that, but I've heard it in so many places that Ruth Bader Ginsburg, Supreme Court Justice, uh, slept 
at last year's State of the Union address, Mm -hmm. and she said it was because Justice Kennedy took them all out for dinner before the speech, Mm -hmm. and they slammed a bottle of Opus, and she said it was so good she had more than one glass, and it put her out. Mm -hmm. So... That's what, what Red will do to you. Red, Red, Red will knock you out. What am I to What am I to suspect from this bottle of Opus? You're gonna de- you're definitely gonna get some oak, for sure. It's gonna be more of a smooth, not yeah. spicy oak, but you're gonna have that woodsy um, yeah. taste with dark fruit, dark fruit. Really, probably not even dark berries. More like plums and maybe blackberry. Yeah, black currant. Um, you you're gonna you're gonna get all the darkness. Like uh, just, and it, it's going to be um, a beautiful finish. I'm looking forward to it. And uh, look, I don't believe in saving stuff like that. It's just, I'm going to try it. I just had, cause I still got some bottles of Camus because I've been, I've been hoarding collecting them. them I, yeah. That's exactly. I left a bottle at the Camelot club. I said, <laughs> when I'm up there, cause I know where to get it at Ben 70. So I need to leave a bottle in the cellar over there too. There's one left. So a, you really? can't buy that one. I'm hiding that one for okay, everybody, see. but you can bring yours if you want. That's okay. So I'll do that. <laughs> she knew where I was going. <laughs> you can't sell me every one of them. Right. I remember one time driving back from uh, a meeting in Lafouche and uh, for those of you who don't know that's a parish in Louisiana but um, Caitlin called me to tell me hey I got a couple bottles of Camus left (laughs) and before she got to do you want to buy them I'm already I'm thinking in my head why are you asking me do I want them it's like yes I want them and so all right so what's the last one I have have to wait till I get more Camus in to sell you the other ones all right all right so this is the Honor of Era Merlot okay it's from Spain Right. And as you smelled it earlier when I first opened it. Look at that color. I know. It's beautiful. And this, oh. it, it, it's it's just, it's almost, I don't want to say it's a Merlot, but this is a cab drinker's Merlot to where that they can, wow. it, it would be really easy transition to, because, you know, people, especially after, thank you Sideways, by the way, for coming out and ruining Merlot for a lot of people. <laughs> but um, but it, it when you do a Merlot right, it is so wonderful. And I think that um, this is going to be an easy transition for cab drinkers to try to get into Merlot and taste this one. So it's, this is this is robust. Yes. So it's on the a, nose, it's right. like okay. So it's beautiful perfume, beautiful on the nose, and it's it's bright. Oh my goodness. Mm-hmm. I thought you liked that one. Yeah. Now that's some serious tannin. Okay. That's that's the tannin you taste. Uh huh. <laughs> right. So you're going to get the. Right, so you get the perfume, holy crap, and blue fruit and violets and just and just very just dark flowers on the nose, and then on the palate you just get that dry and beautiful tannins, just very big robust tannins. Wow! Right. See, if it wasn't so early in the day, we would probably transition from tasting to drinking. But <laughs> I'm just saying. But this is very, this is very, very good. I mean, it's 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 robust, it's flavorful, it finishes very very well. And you I, know what? Do you taste at the end? It's almost like you're chewing on plum skins. Mm-hmm. It's literally like plum skins. That's exactly right. And the thing about the finish is, I, I you help me say this. I, I'm going to say it, and I don't mean smooth as much as I mean definite on the back end. Just, it's it doesn't like. As it's finishing, you're, you you really, uh, you get the flavors, but it, it isn't weak, mm-hmm. I guess is what I'm trying to say. Mm-hmm. It's a strong finish. Right. Smooth, but it's a strong finish. It's bold. Why? Bold. That's mm-hmm. it. Why, why is it that way? 
designed um, if they aged it in um, new oak. Whenever if you, a winemaker uses new oak, it's going to have a much more strong, obviously, presence of oak versus the old oak. Because obviously, the, as the old as the I oak, almost get coffee off of it. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, coffee beans, absolutely, yeah. So I'm not crazy. Mm-mm. See, I was thinking, you know, a second ago, having you and Justine in here, mm-hmm. Justine from Don Juan Cigars, uh-huh. and maybe see if we can get Abel over here. Abel is uh, the man in the kitchen at Ben Seventy Seven right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, that would go amazing right now, really quick. That would go great with the cigar, the one, the Merlot you're drinking. So see, I'm thinking we bring this show on the road. <laughs> we we set up in the courtyard at Ben Seventy Seven, and we we you know we have a party. Yeah, okay. I think we can make that I'm happen. Off, I'm off on Tuesdays. So. <laughs> <laughs> Tuesday it is. We're gonna have to make this happen. So so what is this retail for? Okay, well all three of these bo- bottles. Yeah, let's talk about all of them. Well, what they retail. for. All three of these. By I the brought, way, you can get them at Ben Seventy Seven. Well, not only can you get them, but you can taste all of these because these all three are on the new wine list I put mm. out today. Brand new wine list today by the glass. So all three of these are on the glass list. And the Merlot that you're tasting is only $9 a glass. $9? And it's $27 uh, for a bottle. That's a winner. That's in-house, not retail. That's a winner. (laughs) And so you can go there. Now, what would this pair well with on the menu at Ben 7? Oh, I think, uh, okay, Lamb empanadas. We got lamb ding, empanadas. Ding, ding, ding. You do? Yeah, that's the new empanada that we have. Lamb empanadas. Really? And I fought to get that back on because it's so good. Who? I mean, who do I have to bribe to get duck egg rolls back on the menu over there? Oh my God, that's been a long time. That's you know, right. We still have duck quesadillas next I door. I know. Okay. We still but have that. the That's right. I, you know what? You told me that the last time I was, or one of the recent times I was there that you guys had duck that. Duck quesadillas. And they I haven't good. tried those. those I'm going to try those. So the Honor Rivera is $9 a glass. The bottle is 27 This is all in-house. Yeah. The retail, I think, is only $15, $16. hmm Yeah, 15 or $16. Um, the Chardonnay that you first tasted is $13 yeah. a glass and $39 it's, a bottle. It's very good. Mm-hmm. And the Barossa, the Shiraz that you tasted, I believe, was 10, 10 or $11 a glass. Yes. The amazing thing is the the diversity of cost for mm-hmm. what's on the wine list by the glass or by the bottle at, at Ben. Something as high up as say Camus, mm-hmm. and then like the uh, the bar uh, Melbeck is how is how much uh, in house? I think it's forty five dollars a bottle. Okay, and then by the glass, it used to be when it was on our wine list fourteen. So they're a family bar estates. They're a family that has in the last couple of years really gained a lot of attention because mm-hmm. as you said earlier in the show, they really don't do anything poorly. Everything's right. good. No, no, they, they cannot make a bad wine. They make one they so they make one white, which is mm-hmm. al, which is an Albarino. Yeah. And they do the rest red. Okay. And they make one rose, the pink, the rose uh, wine, uh, which is actually made from their Malbec grape. Yeah. So it's a one white Albarino and then one red rose. Oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. One white Albarino and one rose, which is from their Malbec grape. Yeah. But everything else is red. They do um, Malbec, Cab, Petit Verdot, Petit Syrah, and one other one. And I believe there's another two other reds. But what kills me is that he does, he's one of the few that I know that does 100%, a 100% Petit Verdot. Because a Petit Verdot is usually a blending grape. Yeah. And that's actually one of the five main grapes in Bordeaux blends. Yeah. Well, he just makes this Petit Verdot that's wonderful. And he came out with a reserve Petit Verdot for two or three years and no longer makes it. And it is absolutely wonderful. And I emailed him because we have our private emails because I've met him. And <laughs> yeah. he found out that I was part of one of the main reasons he sold so much wine in Louisiana because I sold cases one month. Like, 
we had a competition. I'm quite competitive. So I, I sold, I mean, cases of his cat yeah. in Malbec. So um, he flew in and we met and, you know, and we were emailed and I said, you know, I'm very, I'm, I'm quite distressed that you got rid of the reserve petite for dough. Mm-hmm. He said, well, brace yourself because I'm no longer making the petite, the reserve petite Syrah because he makes, he makes a petite Syrah yeah. and he made this reserve petite Syrah. And for those winos out there that have had it, they know they're going to be freaking out when I say this. The 6950, it was 6950 down the bottle. Mm-hmm. And it was a reserve petite Syrah. And when I tell you that, when I told my staff that he was no longer making it, they bought the rest of the case. It was awful. <laughs> and I told them I couldn't discount it for them. It's so funny. You learn if someone's an enophile or not. I've been there with friends of mine. One of my buddies is an orthopedic surgeon, and we had... Cassidy Man? Uh, what's that? Is it Cassidy Man? No, uh, that's, that's... I'm sorry. Go ahead. Uh, Green is his last name. Okay. But we were there for lunch. And uh, he was asking, talking to Brian. And so I had already gone out and they're chatting. And apparently the conversation was about Camus. <laughs> so at that time, the last couple bottles before he got more, he got. So Craig got them. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and, he's, and he said a friend of his told him, there's red wine and then there's Camus. Oh, okay. Well, That's kind of <laughs> how he dramatically said it to me. And I said, oh, okay, mm-hmm. all right. And then I tried Camus. And yeah, he wasn't lying about it, but there's just so many out there. All right. So how can people contact Ben 77 or if they want to call you directly to pick your brain, how can they do that? Okay. Well, um, so that's why I'm here, Mm -hmm. um, that I want to start maybe thinking about doing a podcast called From Vine to Ben. That's right. So I developed a concept called From Vine to Ben because it's Ben 77 and Mm -hmm. For those to explain the meaning of bin, B-I-N, it's actually, um, it's a bin of wine. It's where basically after they make the wine, they bottle it to label it. They put them in separate bins and they number the bins. Um, it's like a cask for like scotch or whiskey. Right, yeah. right. Um, separately bottled, but yes, yeah. all those there. And mm-hmm. um, so it's from Vine to Bin, uh, the podcast I'm going to start try to start doing. And um, oh, I think we're going to be able to make that Figure happen. that out. <laughs> I know a guy. I know a guy. <laughs> Great. So, um, but, uh, but. They have no problem. The restaurant number is 225-763-2288. One more time. 225-763-2288. And the website? And the website is bin77.com. And of course, you can also like them on Facebook and then you can see the posts. And I I personally post on Facebook. Good. Good. Um, My Facebook's linked to to it. So um, I check that every day. And um, my email is Caitlin, K I. I'm sorry, I can't talk today. K A don't know my own name. K A I It's the wine. Right. <laughs> it's so good. Yeah. Um K A I T L I N at Ben B I N seven seven dot com. And so you can you can email her directly and then again the concept of the show, uh, I think we're gonna be good with that because I think it'll be great, you know, and one of the things that I've wanted to do with the website is have a variety of shows that aren't just about politics and business, but right. about lifestyle. One pleasure. Right. Absolutely. Right. It, listen, well, people work hard every day and they, they commit a lot of their finances to taking care of their families and paying bills. I also think from time to time, you have to take a moment to relax and enjoy being alive. Right. And, and that's literally what the wine stands for. That's exactly right. right. And so the things that you can share with people about pairing. And so the way that I think we'll go about doing it is setting up a way that people can email questions to mm-hmm. you and be able to ask. And there'll be so many subject matters that you can get into that it'll be interesting. I can't wait for it. And so well, that's um, be and good. we're also going to start offering. I've developed an, um, a 
lesson plan yeah. that we're oh. we are going to offer wine classes at Ben. Really? Upstairs in the private wine room. Really? On Monday nights. Really? Yes. So I will okay. I, that will be in development in the next month. Yeah. So um that don't, don't lose my mailing address, okay? <laughs> I have your phone number so ah! I can text you. <laughs> <laughs> That's my girl. Caitlin Gautreau, the sommelier at Ben 77 in Baton Rouge. She is a wonderful person. You can see her wine intellect and how easily she can talk about these things. And I think there's so much more to discuss. We appreciate having her here. Thank you so much, Katie. Oh, it was a pleasure. Have you ever wanted to host your own podcast? Coming soon, Clay Young Enterprises and Podcast 225 will be giving you your big chance. You'll be able to use professional broadcast equipment to create a podcast that you can be proud of. You'll have an engineer and a professional show open and close. The Clay Young Show is already considered one of the best podcasts in the state. Get the same audio quality and professional packaging for your very own podcast. Stay tuned for more details. Your chance to have your own show is coming soon. This is The Clay Young Show on Podcast225.com. Okay, the fastest close in the history of Podcast225.com. <laughs> so there you have it, her magic combination, bubbly and fried chicken. I'm definitely curious, <laughs> yeah. I guess. I so mean, I'm thinking raisin, cane, raisin canes and uh, moet. No, Chick-fil-A is better than raisin canes, right? How <laughs> dare you? <laughs> All right, so that's a good one. We talked about the the ladies from the wellness studio being on this week. That's actually next week on the show. So uh, if you get a chance, watch that documentary, Making a Murderer. I think you're in. I'm you're hooked. Yeah, you're oh, going to watch hooked. it. Absolutely. <laughs> and thanks to Caitlin and the folks at Ben 77 for being our guests, uh, our guest this week on the show. Go see them. The best steak in Baton Rouge is right over Hands there. Hands down. Ben 77. We'll catch you next week. It's the Clay Young Show on podcast 22. Oh, that's actually your line. (laughs) Do it this way on the Talk 107.3 mobile app, on iTunes, and on podcast225.com. She's gotten better. (laughs) See you next week. Thanks for listening. Join us next week for another edition of the Clay Young Show.